0: Christ compared the days prior to his return to those of Noah. Genesis 6-4 says, There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. Numerous Bible scholars have spent a great deal of time in recent decades speculating about how, when, and where we as humans might once again be confronted face-to-face by a prophesied super race of malevolent giants, literally hell bent on the destruction of the image of God and His people. Today, we continue our special series on angels and giants, the Watchers and the Nephilim. Hello everybody and welcome to Skywatch TV. I'm Joe Horn. Today we continue our special programming with an all-star panel of experts on the brand new documentary series called Angels and Giants, The Watchers and the Nephilim. But before we dive into today's explosive discussion, watch this short excerpt.
1: Our stories in the Americas, most tribes from New Hampshire over to California talk about six-fingers red-haired giants that were 9, 10, 12 feet
0: tall. There's over 500 tribes just in the United States alone. One thing that is prevalent in all the stories is stories of giants. The Shoshone, the Bannock, and the Paiute Indians all got together and formed one army, chased about 60 giants into the cave down at Lovelock, and then they piled brush in front of the cave and they lit it on fire. The Native Americans didn't have anything nice to say about the red-haired giants.
1: They were cannibalistic. They were sexually perverse, sadistic.
0: Bite your head off, drink all the blood out of your body. And
1: then throw the body down, like popping a, a top off a of Coca-Cola. My brother's 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six,
2: this thing was a lot bigger than my brother.
0: We followed her downstairs into the basement, and then she opened this cabinet, and there were the bones.
1: You can see the face rock in front of us. That was the place where they hide the library. The books, the Dead Sea Scrolls, that among them we found the famous book of Enoch. You have these beings who belong in the spiritual realm choosing to trespass and enter the natural realm in an illegal way. Members of the divine
3: realm were allowed to come through a portal from one dimension into our dimension
4: at what they call Gilgal Refaim, which translates loosely as Wheel of the Giants. So the reason why all this matters is because Bashan, which also means the land of the serpent, was the place where the giant Og reigned during the days of Moses. And Og's name can mean circle, and we're sitting here in a pile of 42,000 tons of stone circles that there's no way you can appreciate it unless you're high up in the sky.
2: Early Israelites identified it as the work of giants. Therefore, it seems sufficient to say in its ancient context, circle of the giants is a better translation of Gilgal Raphaim. I'm not like this, I'm soaking up this
5: energy. There's a
1: very special energy here. Could some of these wonders be the metaphorical handprints of the giants spoken of in Genesis?
0: Welcome back to Skywatch TV. Ladies and gentlemen, what you just saw was only a tiny tithing of what is available in Angels and Giants, the Watchers, and the Nephilim. But before we get into the incredible conversation today surrounding this amazing body of work, let me introduce who's in-house. He's a television and documentary film producer who's worked with countless media outlets like Fox, MTV, CBS, and more. His works include Gentle Grace with Kathy Lee Gifford, Jesus the Search Continues with John Ankerberg, and The Legendary Apocalypse, the Final Warning docuseries on Inspiration TV. Please welcome Mr. Rudy Landa. (laughs) He's the author of the best-selling titles Giants, Sons of the Gods, Covenant Theology, Christ in the Old Testament, and the Q&A companion to the late Dr. Michael Heiser's best-selling Supernatural Game Changer: The Unseen Realm. Please welcome Mr. Douglas Van Dorn. He's a multi-time, critically acclaimed best-selling author, award-winning documentary film director, and the founder of Skywatch Television, Dr. Thomas Horn. His broadcasting career has spanned over 25 years. He's the best-selling author of the groundbreaking books The Great Inception and The Last Clash of the Titans, Mr. Derek Gilbert. We continue with our third installation on what has been a mind-boggling series filled with revelatory reveal-after-reveal Doug and Rudy both on Angels and Giants, The Watchers, and The Nephilim. This docuseries was compiled over four one-hour parts just to make it possible, and because that still wasn't enough... A second companion DVD was compiled called Angels and Giants Illuminated, both available in the special opportunity we're going to make you aware of in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I want to get right back to where we left off last week. If you missed the archives, please go back. These gentlemen have done such a service to the body of Christ, in my view, by taking what a lot of uh, Christianity today views as maybe obscure or less Relevant. Derek said a couple of weeks ago best, you know, shouldn't the busy work of the church be to focus on Jesus? And while it is absolutely that, if you're missing the revelations in a series like this, the purpose of Christ, these megalithic structures, the historical relevance to the time when he walked the earth, and what the religious ideologies of those days were at the time, and why those play into Bible prophecy today, like you're missing a massive bit of infrastructure to what Christianity really ought to resemble today. And it's so much of what I believe Christianity is today has become diluted, and I'm not here to, to attack or make judgments. I just, these are tools that could be available to pastors, leaders. If you're hungry for the actual meat on the bone, Bible prophecy, these works do such a good job. And John, I'm glad you brought that up. Because
2: I'm thinking that pastors, Sunday school teachers, people that have home study groups, Mm -hmm. they could buy this in quantity in order to get pastors and churches talking
0: about this. Use it as a small, yeah, breakout group studies, (laughs) weekly series for sure. Speaking of Bible theology, divinical training, the book of Enoch, Doug, it is a book extra biblical so there are those that take the worldview that you know we're, we're to pay no attention whatsoever to any sort of extra biblical writing, even in terms of the historical context of when it was written and who the authors were, and maybe some of the authors that also authored something that made it into the Bible. They have these differing views on, on books like the Apocrypha or the Book of Enoch. Um, but Angels and Giants actually discusses in considerable detail the Book of Enoch. Now, we are rightfully so taught to focus our theological works on what is only in the Bible. However, there are a lot of divinical colleges and things that pay a great deal
4: of attention to books like the book of Enoch. So what is your what is your position on that? So I think it's a really really important question. A lot of people have this issue. First thing I think I want to bring up is that it's kind of ironic because the same people that will have that issue will buy Derek and Sharon's books and Tom's books and not have a problem with it. They won't think that this is scripture.
5: That's so something's
4: point. going on in the mind that's causing them to equate it with Scripture. And I, I've often wondered if it isn't because some of these books are more in modern days. They have chapter and verse attached to them. And so it looks like you're reading the Bible. I don't know if that's the case or not. But there's something that's happening in their mind that's causing them to have this problem that they don't have with other people. I think that to attack, especially the book of Enoch, first of all, it's an incredible book just to sit down and read. And most people have never read it. So they should just read it for that reason. Uh, And if you can get it out of your head that this isn't Scripture, then you're not going to have that problem. Uh, If it's it's a presupposition that this isn't the Scripture, then you're not going to bring that to the text. And you can just read it for what it is. I think there's another problem, which is that I think people have the wrong idea of what the Bible is in the first place. This is a book that teaches us about Christ and how we are saved. And no other book is needed to do that. And no other book does do that. And so... It's not a book, the Bible isn't a science book, the Bible isn't a textbook, the Bible isn't a, you know, a, just a pure history book, it's a book about right. Him. Yeah. It's, that's the whole point of why God gave it to us. So if you, if you can understand what the Bible is and then understand what all these other books are in history, mm-hmm. then separate those two things out. Then you can start evaluating each book on its own merit. Mm-hmm. And you come to the book of Enoch, which has been incredibly highly regarded Throughout church history, Mm -hmm. a couple of the early fathers called it Scripture. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to call it Scripture, but I'm just saying they did that. They held it in such high regard that um, they thought this was a very important book. You come to the time of the Reformation, and a lot of these guys will uh, speak down about Enoch. And I think the reason why is because we had lost the book. They didn't even have the book to read it. So they're just kind of going on hearsay of, of what they have heard the book of Enoch is. We rediscovered this book 300 years ago. Uh, because it had been preserved in the Ethiopian church, and we've since found uh, other copies of it. Think about the fact that Jude quotes or alludes to this book at least a dozen times, all positively. And that's not a big book. Jude is a tiny little letter. Mm -hmm. So he's using this book and using it positively. And if he was going to be, for example, using the story of the Watchers that um, he definitely alludes to, and he was going to be talking about in a negative way, He would have to come out and tell you that, because all the rest of his uses of this book are positive. Taking that a step
1: further, there's a reference beginning in chapter 37 of First Enoch, the section that scholars call the Book of Parables, where uh, it gets into end times prophecy and and, uh, an end times savior, a Messiah, who is referred to as the Son of Man, emerges. And that term is used like 18 times in the, the the Book of First Enoch. That's not used anywhere in the Bible except for Daniel chapter seven, Seven. where one like a son of man is mentioned, but we're not given any information about him. But in first Enoch, it's clear that this son of man is one who will come back and he will punish these sinful angels and wicked kings and evil landowners and so forth. So again, coming back to, should we just focus on Jesus? Yeah. And apparently Jesus was aware of and
2: at least approved of, in, to some degree, the book of Enoch before he died of pancreatic cancer. Uh, I had talked with Mike Kaiser on like I think it was the last time I talked to him on the phone, but I told him, no doubt, your legacy of work is is broad. Much of what you've accomplished was like first time knowledge right. for many. I pastored twenty five years. I didn't know half of what he was talking about. But it had to do with his divine counsel teaching, which is also connected to uh, his point about what he called the enoch Enochian uh, world view and he He was able to illustrate how many times the disciples of Christ in the New Testament were witness to Jesus fulfilling for them his role as the Son of Man who came to overcome right. uh, yeah. these fallen angels that are in the underworld and, and so, so many of the things that he did. So again, you can't have a rich appreciation for who Jesus Christ was and what he did and what he accomplished unless you want to also understand this Enochian uh, world of view. Exactly. Yeah. And it was at Caesarea Philippi,
1: the base of Mount Hermon where Jesus asked his disciples who do people say the son of man is? That's right. right.
5: <laughs>
3: yeah.
5: right. One thing that's important for me as the, as the director and producer of this of this DVD is for people to understand we're not throwing caution to the wind. That's right. not what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I, I've right. spent considerable amount of time in, in my career doing projects like like the rebuttal like the one you mentioned Jesus the Search Continues which was a rebuttal to Peter Jennings uh, The Search of Christ uh, when this loony theory of the Talpiot tomb came out a few years ago. We did a full rebuttal on that. It's not that we don't understand the need to be grounded in insane Bible, oh, uh, in, insane scripture. And, you know, mm. we're not endorsing, just throwing caution to the wind. So, so we hear you, but you're safe. Right. If that makes sense.
2: Well, and also it, it still goes back to the why even use it? Why even include it or mention it? And it's because the disciples of Christ were very much wound up uh, in the story told in the book of Enoch. It was very important to them, and they were looking for the Messiah to fulfill his role as the Son of Man. And so, yeah, it's very important that we include it. Now, it could be like here in the, here in the United States, we can have uh, you know a book, the history of of George Washington, right? Well, you mm-hmm. know, we're it's not scripture. But we also don't go through it and dispute you know, some of the battles he was involved with or him as the first American president. This is real history. Yeah. True right. history. Right. That's what Enoch is. It's a historical book but always uh,
5: played an important role in the Hebrew mind. And, and, it, and it fills a lot of the gaps. It fills it a lot of the gaps of the things that we that we, that if we excluded it would just be enigmas. Right. Once you put that in and once you know that it is doctrinally safe, right. then it makes all the sense in the world. I, I think that's why so many that teach
0: biblical theology also almost make. Some of them make the book of Enoch required reading along with the apocryphal books and so forth. We're talking about historical locations though. I I found this incredible. For the angels and giants, the watchers in the Nephilim series, you went on so many expeditions. You guys literally traveled all over the world, various expeditions, looking at actual megalithic structures face to face. You and your team visited the site of the famous encounter between David and Goliath, Like Mm -hmm. stood there. Why is this topic though? So relevant to the study of the Watchers and the Nephilim.
5: Well, if I may, real quick, you brought up my, my team, and, and I just want to take the opportunity to quote to 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 work this in that I that I have to give a huge shout out, as the kids say, um, to my to my team, a, s- a small team but extremely dedicated, extremely talented, and to my management, and to my company that completely believed in this project. Mm-hmm. I would be remiss if I didn't do that. Um, I think I shared with you that before I got into the subject of studying this entire, this, this whole genre and just immersing myself into it, I'd been to that site probably literally 20 times. And it wasn't until I started studying this, that it just took on a completely different, completely yeah. different meaning. Um, it just, you just see it completely differently. And, and what's really funny is that for the first time, and this is on the film, um, as we're walking out, of the site. We ran into this, this group of, of young Jewish girls Mm -hmm. that had just spent an entire day out there basically immersing themselves into the history of that place. And it was really cool to hear, um, a Jewish worldview perspective of David and Goliath and of that place. And Mm -hmm. you'll see it on the film, the young lady that speaks, she almost gets emotional over it, you know? So it was, it's a special place. And, And like I said, for the believer that does, that doesn't yet have this whole narrative of the of the of the watchers and the the nephilim once you see the relevance to our faith in general you start to see a lot of things differently a lot of things come to
2: life you, know? you guys did a wonderful job in this film of finding things that for most of us have no answer and then you put forward a prognosis or you put forward an idea a theory Uh, That, you know, be like the light just goes on. It's like, oh, duh, that just makes so much sense. I think this, even for people who are students of the Bible, even pastors and people that have never paid enough attention to this, uh, they're going to find that part of this whole, you know, four part series uh, to be extraordinary. Joe, for example, you said around the world there are megalithic structures. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not just that. It's around the world, there are megalithic structures that are very similar to other structures that are on the other side of the world. And you have to wonder, I mean, long before Christopher Columbus and the little song the kids sing, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. But long before he did... There were also megalithic structures here. Tiwanaku, gigantic, massive stones that they say they quarried over 200 miles away, and then what? Right. Over uh, you know 11,000 feet for structures that were there before the last ice age. And we study the geological strata; we know that yeah. that's true. But Joe, here's one for you, All right? Uh, in the entrance of Belbek, which is in Lebanon. The stone of the pregnant woman. Well, for many years, that was believed to be the biggest uh, quarried stone on the face of the earth. It weighs two million pounds. Two million pounds. Oh, but then about four or five years ago, the the archaeologists discover another halfway buried stone, and they unearth that stone. It's three million three hundred thousand pounds. And by the way, whatever those structures originally were, they were in ruins by the time the Roman Empire came along. And then the Romans went in there and you know put together whatever they could and tried to get the stones in such a place that they built their temple to uh, Jupiter. Yeah, the temple to Jupiter in there on the top of some of these stones. But it's crazy, people look that up, look at these how, how tiny people look standing next to these stones and then ask yourself, okay, what did they have to have like 75,000 donkeys all hooked right. to ropes right. to try to drag this? I don't know, do we have a machine today? That could pick up and transport a three million three hundred. No, no not at one no,
0: time. No. no, I can't imagine. And,
5: and, and you know, Tom, if, if I may, um, the other thing too that's amazing about exactly what you're talking about is the congruence in the craftsmanship. Mm. Oh. Yeah. If, if you look at um, the Barabar caves in India, and you look at the portals, you be, they're you know very very distinct portals, um, and then you compare them side by side to Waka in Peru, mm-hmm. it's the same guy to build them. You know, yeah. it's I mean yeah. the, the craftsmanship is exactly the same. Then you have other strange stuff, like for example, in Crimea, you've got these you've got the these other portals, these other type of, of portals, that match the exact same craftsmanship to the to the to the chamber of queens inside the Great Pyramid. Uh-huh. Wow. The craftsmanship, the same type of stonework. How does that happen in that, you know, that vast distance between one to the other right. at approximately the same time. Right and then they're all gone. With a cataclysm of some kind, they're just gone. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, these are all locations you're going to get to see
0: face-to-face with Rudy while he's on expedition with his team. Angels and Giants, The Watchers and the Nephilim, along with the companion DVD, Angels and Giants Illuminated. We want to show you how you can get your copies of these two masterpieces right now. Don't go anywhere.
3: Christ compared the days of His return to those of Noah. Genesis 6-4 says, There were giants in the earth in those days. Are we as humans once again about to be brought face-to-face with a prophesied super race of malevolent giants, literally hell-bent on the destruction of the image of God and His people? What modern-day mystery surrounding Gilgal Raphaim, the ancient wheel of giants, might be linked to a sudden hyper-acceleration of end times prophecy? Skywatch TV is proud to unveil For the first time anywhere. The docuseries that uncovers what Bible scholars have missed for hundreds of years. The Angels and Giants Expedition Collection. When you order this phenomenal new collection, you'll receive the Angels and Giants, the Watchers and the Nephilim four-part docuseries on DVD. This groundbreaking new series travels the world and unveils for the first time ever archaeological, cultural, and even spiritual evidence of the existence of fallen angels and giants here on Earth. Beings whose allegorical, historical, and even physical handprints have remained purposely hidden behind the veil by wicked, anti-God evildoers. Until now. Join producer and director Rudy Landa, along with Tim Ross and their incredible team of scholars as they travel thousands of miles around the world to investigate dozens of ancient locations like Gilgal Raphaim, known as the Wheel of Giants, the megalithic structure in Israel that many prophecy experts believe was the place of biblical legend where Moses encountered an ancient species of giants when Israel settled in the land of Canaan and may even be the tomb of King Ah, the King of Bashan. Featuring interviews with world-renowned experts in ancient history, biblical theology, and academia, like Dr. Thomas Horn, Doug Vendor, Carl Gallup's, L. A. Marzulli. Robert Putty Putman, Fritz Zimmerman, Stephen Wondernick, and Chief Joseph and Dr. Laura Lynn Riverwind. The Angels and Giants, the Watchers and the Nephilim four-part docuseries on DVD brings you face-to-face with the truth about biblical portals, ancient star gods, the Book of Enoch, the rebellion in heaven involving fallen angels that brought about the birth of giants, a race of super beings known as the Nephilim, and the possibility of their imminent return here on earth. But that's not all. This brand new collection also includes the Angels and Giants Illuminated Companion DVD. This standalone masterpiece takes you on an expedition of epic proportion. Join as the experts from the Angels and Giants series continue their examination of biblical giants, the Watchers and the Nephilim. You will explore the mysteries of ancient megalithic structures and learn why so many First Nation tribes and civilizations share the same origin stories rooted in the existence of giants and what the Bible has to say about all of it. Sold separately, these items in the Angels and Giants Expedition Collection hold a retail value of $85. Yours right now for your donation of only $35 plus shipping and handling. You can scan the QR code on your screen right now using the camera app on your phone to place the order at the skywatchtvstore.com or call 1-844-750-4985 and ask for the Angels and Giants Expedition Collection today.
0: Welcome back to Skywatch TV. I'm Joe Artis Horn. We continue our discussion on Angels and Giants, The Watchers, and the Nephilim, and of course the companion DVD that you just saw in that promotional spot, Angels and Giants Illuminated. With just a few minutes on the clock, Rudy and Doug, I want to kind of pre-tease where this conversation is going next week. We've spent a lot of time on pyramids, locations, historical events, megalithic structures, But there's a lot now that we need to focus on in terms of the spiritual undercurrent to this whole dilemma that we're dealing with, as well as uh, portals. We're seeing a lot of activity right now worldwide that people uh, who are students of Bible theology would point and say, well, these are portals to the unsaved person out there that has no idea what they're seeing in the sky and what's being videotaped as things seem to materialize and clouds suddenly shift and move. Before we get into that, because that's going to be really heavy next week, ziggurats, Doug, the word itself, people unfamiliar, ziggurats. Why did you guys focus
4: on that in this series? And for those that don't know, what does that mean? Well, a ziggurat is a, basically just a stepped structure that goes up in a sort of a pyramid form. Um, and essentially, what a ziggurat is is a it's a man-made attempt to return to Eden, if I can put it like that. So you have to think about the Eden. Most people think of it as just a garden. But if you go to Ezekiel 28, he talks about the mountain of God being Eden. Mm-hmm. And so what's going on there? You've got a mountain. You've got uh, a garden. Think about um, Nebuchadnezzar's hanging gardens. He's replicating that in a ziggurat form. What's going on there? What's a place a divine council meets? The gods are in the heavenlies. Man is at the bottom of the, of the thing. In the story of the garden, God is giving Adam a seat on the divine council. So God is allowing Adam to come up. And then the reason why Satan is there is because he's kind of the high priest of the of the uh, divine council, um, and the two are interacting, and it's completely normal. God cuts us off from that when we fall in the garden. Essentially, Tower of Babel is an attempt to get back to that, but instead of God's way, we're doing it our way. Instead of God coming down to us, We're going up to him. Instead of him giving us permission to go up, we do it of our own accord. And so they they build a ziggurat. Jacob's ladder is actually the same thing. We think of it as like a ladder. It's not a ladder. It's a ziggurat. Jacob sees the Lord on top of the thing, and the angels are going up and down on it. And if you want to put kind of a... Spiritual fine tuning on it, mm-hmm. Jesus quotes this in the book of John, and he talks about how you will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, he is Jacob's wow. ladder, he's the ziggurat, he's the connection between heaven and earth. Yeah. So it, this kind of gets into the area of portals because you have this connection going on between the two realms.
5: One thing that's that is important that I that I have seen many times is that when we um, look at, at the spiritual aspect of something, especially at the way that unbelievers mm-hmm. approach the spiritual world, you know, we denounce it. We say, no, no, we don't believe in that. You know, we, no, no, don't t- don't touch that. Don't play mm-hmm. with that. Don't dab- don't dabble in that. It doesn't make it any less real. Yeah. You know, the spiritual world yeah. is a place. We're not supposed to go there unprepared. We're not supposed to go dabbling in things we're not supposed to, the things the Bible tells yeah. us not to, but it is a real place. And to ignore it True. is dangerous. To Absolutely. ignore it is to be underprepared, is to be underarmed. And she says if there were to be such a thing as a uh, new age high priestess, she would have been when she's a Mm. believer now and a sold out believer at that. And she gives us amazing, amazing insight at, again, the word, the congruency between the modern new age studies that has become so glamorized and the same spiritual world, the same old dirty tricks of the devil with a whole new spin on it.
0: Rudy, you're going to have to hold your thought. Unfortunately, we're all out of time again this week, but don't worry, we're coming back next week and our guests are going to return to talk about whether or not the Bible offers any corroborating evidence that explains the existence of real-life portals, and if so, what role in Bible prophecy they might play in the days ahead. You simply cannot afford to miss next week. Ladies and gentlemen, Rudy, Doug, for everybody on panel, Derek, Tom, everybody in the studio, keep your eyes on the prize, which is Jesus Christ. We'll be back.